Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. You're listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from lunchtimemoviereview.com, and we are the children of the 80s. Welcome back to another episode of Lunchtime Movie Review, the podcast where we look back at some of our favorite films of our childhood and see if they stand the test of time. I'm Patrick. I'm Chad. I'm Lori. G'day, I'm Shane. All right, and this month we're reviewing a romance film just in time for Valentine's Day, An Officer and a Gentleman from 1982. But before we get started reviewing this very romantic film, first a word from our sponsor, written by Chris, who could not be here today. This podcast is brought to you by the Crafty Butcher's Steers and Queers Steakhouse, Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> Oklahoma's best source of unbeatable meats at unbeatable prices. From the beginning, the Crafty Butcher has been on a lifelong quest for the perfect hunk of beef, and now his passion can be your passion. The Crafty Butcher's Steers and Queer Steakhouse serves up generous portions with bold flavors from over 69 combinations that will leave your taste buds exploding with each mouthful, but still begging for more. This is casual dining at its finest. Hot or cold, wet or dry, the Crafty Butcher has a little something for everyone, even grandma. And don't forget to leave room for one of our famous S&Q Brownie Queen Sundays, a little bit of sweet to go with your meat. The Crafty Butcher's Steers and Queer Steakhouse. Put it in your mouth today. <laughs> Chris has done it again. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, yes, very much. All right, Shade, you have the summary? Uh, yes, I do. Tell us what this film, An Officer and a Gentleman, is about. Directionless but maintaining ambition, Zach Mayo is about to report to Aviation Officer Candidate School without much support from his uncaring, borderline, alcoholic disgrace of a father, Byron. However, he is determined to build on living the dream to become a naval aviator. Zach, with fellow new recruits of all shapes and sizes, are ultimately stunned by their harsh treatment from Head Gunnery Sergeant Marine Drill Instructor Emil Foley. He makes it crystal clear the program is not for everyone, including steers and queers. Over time, Foley mentally and physically wears them down, running them into the ground, literally, which drives a few out before even coming close to acceptance in the Navy elite. Unfortunately, one of the exiting trainees is Topper, played by one of my favourite actors over time, David Caruso. Not one of my favourite actors of all time. A warning is given to the men in uniform that women in the area prey on recruits with intent on trapping them to become impregnated. Originally a real loner underneath, Zach makes a few mates with fellow trainee candidates including Sid, Lionel, Emiliano and female colleague Casey, but romantically he gives in to absolute pleasure, losing his mind and body for Paula, a, a worker at the local factory. Training and romance collide, as does the visceral relationship between Zach and the drill sergeant, but I'll get back to that in a second. 
On a weekend off, Paula tags Zach to meet the family over dinner, which does not go down well with the stepdad as Paula's real dad actually deserted her mother, refusing to marry her after becoming pregnant. Meanwhile, Zach helps Casey complete an all-important obstacle course, sacrificing his own perfect finish time to assist in motivating his friend. Ongoing threats to quit are reciprocated by Drill Sergeant Flolly throughout the whole film, accumulating an unofficial bare-knuckle fist fight combining martial arts and a low blow, which is the only reason Foley is the winner of this particular bout. Sid goes on to propose to his local pregnant girlfriend, although she does not accept due to learning of Sid's departure from the program, not becoming a pilot, for which is really all she cares about. A crushed Sid checks into a motel where he's later found hanging in a shower by Zach and Paula, who had been frantically searching for his whereabouts. Zach rejects comfort from Paula, even though he has given her the silent treatment over a period of time. Now sworn into the Navy with his class and new group of friends, Zach receives his first salute in exchange for a silver dollar, and it seems Foley is about to crack up, break down crying only to eventually tell Zach to get out of here. With orders to undertake flight training, however, before all that, in a sequel that never happened, Jack jumps on his motorcycle seeking out Paula, rolling up to the factory in the middle of a workday, walking towards her while all the factory co-workers look up with hearts pattering as he declares his true love towards her. Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warren echo through the soundtrack as Zach picks up Paula aloft in his arms, walking her out to the up-tempo Oscar-winning tune Up Where We Belong, along with applause, smiles and sighs from every lady in the place, including Laura Palmer's mum. Credits roll, that is, an officer and a gentleman. Oh, all right. Well summarized. <laughs> Hope you all understood that with my accent. I did. I had to I, I had to put it on mute and run out of the room because I left some of my notes for all the films out on the desk. So all right. An Officer and a Gentleman, released on July 30th, 1982, the same day as Tex with Matt Dillon and Night Shift with Michael Keaton, the same month as Zapped, The World According to Garp. The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, Six Pack with Kenny Rogers, Tron, and Young Doctors in Love. Grossed over $129 million at the box office. It was the third highest grossing film of 1982 behind, of course, E.T. and Tootsie. And right in front of Rocky Three, Porky's, and Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Was nominated for six Academy Awards, winning for Best Song, as Shane just mentioned, and Best Supporting Actor for Lou Gossett Jr. Losing Best Actress, Deborah Winger, lost to Meryl Streep for Sophie's Choice. Uh, best Original Screenplay and Film Editing, both lost both of those to Gandhi, and lost the Best Original Score to E.T., where John Williams won for that film. So that is all kind of the stat information on Officer and Gentleman. Now, third highest grossing film of 1982. Many would consider a classic romantic film. We've all watched it again. What say you? Uh, <laughs> as far as does this one? I mean, it, 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 I was shocked at the, how much money this damn film made. I, I mean, I knew it was big, but I didn't realize it was that big at the time. Um, Lori, it's a romance film, so we'll start with you. I still like it. <laughs> I do. I I like the characters. They're very realistic. They're not black and white. They're dimensional. And um, I really like Luke Gossett Jr. in it. Um, I, I, I still like it. And I, I do think it's romantic because the odds were against them. And, and that scene when he carries her off 
That's one of my favorite scenes. So, you, okay, you see romance in this film because I see a guy essentially using a girl for pretty much 90% of the film and then for some reason turns on the dime at the very end. That's that's how I read this film. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Chad, how about you? Okay. This film is one of those that's always been described as a chick flick, if you will. Um, I've already, always seen it as a inspirational sort of feel-good movie, to be honest. Basically, it's what I would call an adult movie, not a porn film, but an adult <laughs> movie for adults. It, it's pretty close to a porn film. <laughs> yeah, there is that one good scene, yes. But no, my reasoning was it's a story that's very well depicted for what adults, say, in their mid-20s go through during the natural course of life to help them mature, have a full life, uh, learn to deal with family issues, love, death, uh, companionship, friendships building a support system, finding your morality base, and trying to focus on life goals. And I think that's what every character in this movie, except for maybe Foley, goes through because he sort of has already gotten through all of that. But all these, the four other main characters are going through this, trying to find themselves and how to get through their inner junk and make the best of their life. And then naturally... One of them doesn't make it, and the other two sort of find their adult path. All right. Well said. Well, Chad is taking it in a completely different direction. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I took it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's just the way I've sort of seen this movie throughout the years I've watched it. It's uh, It means a lot to me, I guess, and even more since I rewatched it. And if you are familiar with the military, too, not it's, true. It's very difficult. It's it's a you know an important time of life and scary and and a lot of young men in the military do end up looking for a wife just for that companionship. I think it's hard to do it alone. Where can I ask something totally unrelated, Chad? Where do you live? In Indiana. Okay, I, I was trying to place your accent. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I wasn't going there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. You, you didn't. I, ask, you didn't ask Shane that. <laughs> <laughs> what accent? Shane doesn't have an accent. <laughs> oh, that's what I like to hear. No accent. Good. <laughs> but I. Ha I mean, and it's one of those things. I have uh, an old friend who he was in the Marines overseas, and he, like Corey just said, he had a relationship with somebody just out of convenience, and things happened. They had a child, you know, and. These to me, this was sort of a real life story, in on the big screen in a way. Uh, Shane, you you have no familiarity with the American military system other than in the, in the films. What did you think of it? Uh, look, I agree with Laurie. It, I still like it, uh, and I guess I always liked Richard Gere and uh, seen him in American Gigolo and Breathless on video before actually watching An Officer and a Gentleman and being a bit of a hopeless romantic myself, the film grabbed me by the heart and didn't let go, and I still I still get emotional when I watch it <laughs> to this day. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Amen. I'm yeah. with you. Yeah, and I mean, as Chad said, it's it's a feel-good film, but also 
it does have its downers. There's some really important messages to be told in this film and um, not some scenes that you, you wouldn't call feel good at all. But it's all part of the strong performances. I think every actor in this has a great role to play, small or large, and um, that's that's what won me over as well. Yeah, I, I just don't get the feel-good film, is that it is a very big downer of a film. I mean, Deborah Winger is a character whose father basically impregnated her mother and left. And she, you know, her mother is basically saying, you know, don't dream about that. Her best friend is just trying to, you know, trick a guy into marrying her, a guy she does effectively trick into marrying her, but doesn't want to be with him unless he's a pilot. And then he kills himself. Richard Gere, and I agree with you, Richard Gere is great in this. He he plays an asshole, and that's generally when he's at his best is when he plays those types of characters. I mean, Breathless, yep. American Gigolo, this one, even Pretty Woman to a lar- large extent. And a film I was going to say, it's almost his entire film career. Yeah, I was going to say, Internal Affairs is one of his best roles, and he's a, oh, big, yes. he's a big asshole in that film. But, you know, so so, uh, he, but he, I mean, he, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to show really any kind of, I don't know, love or affection towards Deborah Winger throughout the entire film, in my perspective, uh, up until he, he was went, fighting it. it mm-hmm. Okay, I, I guess I just don't see. You know, he he seems to be angry all the. T- I mean, he's got a chip on his shoulder, and, he, and you see that where he comes from. But I just don't get the the feel good because there isn't really anything feel good until literally the last five ten seconds of the film. And that's all we need. <laughs> okay, that's all you need. <laughs> but like, there there are other feel good. There are feel good movies that I think make you feel good through most of it. But that you know, like this was this is pretty much of a downer. It just has an op- it has a hopeful ending. Is all I could say. It's not feel good, but hopeful. But I do I do agree with you. The acting is is pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Um, the there there was uh, speaking of the acting, we kind of talked about Richard Gere and his assholian behavior. Um, <laughs> but Deborah Winger is the other lead in this film, and th- this I, I th- thought was interesting. A lot of times we talk was she eighties hot and things like that. That we that I actually found some research, a little note that how someone didn't want to cast her because, and, and, and Laura, I know this. I'm going to use words that offend you that she wasn't fuckable. <laughs> but, what I mean, what do you guys think of that? Uh, Laura, I'll let you start because I know you're going to be offended by that. In fact, I even said that. But I thought it was an interesting quote because she is not what I would consider traditional leading woman behavior or characters. She's not cla- I wouldn't say she's classically beautiful. She's not drop dead gorgeous, but she is a good actress. Yeah. And I, I read where you said that she denies having involvement in this film. Yes. Is Could it, that be why it leaves a bad taste in your mouth? Ooh, a bad euphemism to, to describe her <laughs> all this, but well, but yeah, but she still chose to do it and negotiated her own contract in this. Yep. That that is offensive that that he said that, and I I do think she's a a pretty woman. No, no pun intended. They're just coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <they're right. laughs> but um. But she is a great actress, and I do think she is pretty in a in a non conventional in an unconventional way, and and sometimes that's refreshing to see somebody that's that's different. and And I also think if the character had been Michelle Pfeiffer, I don't think the movie would have worked. I like, mean, I think like drop dead gorgeous, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she's in this this um, small town, and I I, I just think I th- I just can't imagine anybody else in the role. 
and I I can't believe people could get away with. I mean, I, they they do when they have enough power, I guess, get away with saying stuff like that. That's really rude. Well, it is rude, but it's like, hey, when you're spending millions of dollars making a movie, that at the end of the day, do I believe that this this character yeah. will be attracted to this other character? And I agree with you. I think she fits the role. That if you had Michelle Pfeiffer, I don't wouldn't believe Michelle Pfeiffer is a factory worker that no one would have married and carried away yeah. at. You know that. Uh, I'm not saying that. Deborah Winger is unattractive, but she's she's not what you would consider a classically a, a classic beauty or, you know, just drop dead gorgeous. I mean, she's she's you know, she's cute. Her voice drives me up the wall a little bit sometimes, but I really like her. I, I think um, she probably got the role because of Urban Cowboy, which was made a couple of years earlier. She was great romantically with John uh, Travolta in that. What's and then the year up. Wasn't this role supposed to be Travolta's? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but no, no, I, I'm not sure about if Travolta was meant to be. For I believe he was considered for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was like a lit laundry list of uh, actors that they had considered for the role. I'm sorry, uh, Shane. I, that's okay. No, I, I know that um, Richard Gears publicly said he only did this movie for the money. Anyway, it, it wasn't. You know, for for that in itself, he still put in a pretty good performance. But yeah, Deborah Winger, she's not classically beautiful. I st- I think she was perfect for the role. She's a good actress. She went on a year later to do Terms of Endearment as well, and I'd like her. I, I, again, if it was Michelle Pfeiffer, as you pointed out, too pretty and uh, polished, I think, to make the role believable. I agree with Shane 100. percent I mean, she's very believable as a early 20s, upper lower class type female i mean that's sort of what she was portraying and she was sort of easy to like in this film and this role and her only real conflict i guess was within her family and her history with her parents biological parents i'll put it that way and her stepfather and i don't know she just did a believable job of being that person who has a good heart who just was wanting to hook up with somebody and found a way to weasel her way. Well, that's not a good way of saying it. <laughs> but found a way to get into Zach's heart and teach him how to be a good man and even told him he didn't have morals, didn't have manners and things of that nature and really didn't even ever compromise her own values in trying to get close to him and then was rewarded with, I guess, true, you want to call it true love at the end of the movie. Well, yeah, and I'll agree with that, that she's, of the characters, she's probably the most... Uh, I don't know, redeemable of, I'm not, I don't even want to say redeemable because she says I would never trick a guy to get, get him mm-hmm. to stay that, that that's, you know, she, she's very disapproving of what her friend does in the film. And, and, and so the, from that aspect, she's a, a very noble character that she, she wants to really be in love. She wants to be carried away with love. I don't understand why she falls in love with Richard Gere because he treats her like crap through most of the film, you know, to a certain extent uh, as somewhat of a sex toy that when it's convenient for him. But, you know, that 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 goes to what I think is the weakness of this film. But uh, but what about okay? uh, what I think is one of the strongest acting performances uh, in a film. And And I think. Playing a drill sergeant is always a, 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 a meaty role. I think uh, that uh, Lou Gossett Jr. in this film had a lot to work with and was had one easily one of the most entertaining roles, uh, acting performances in this film, and well deserving of the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. What did you guys think of uh, you know Lou Gossett in this film? And we'll start with Chad on this one. 
I agree with you. Uh, he deserved this uh, 100%. He is, I would say, a five-star actor in this role. Ex- excellent character. Uh, he did his job. Uh, he had his doing being a drill sergeant who was just doing his job. He had his students' best interests at heart, uh, like all good teachers. Um, he was tough. He listened to what was going on around them, whether they knew it or not. So he, like he said when he first met him, I'm going to use it against you to get the most out of you and to help you get the most out of this experience. And he listened, he observed, he reacted. And unlike um, the drill sergeant and maybe Full Metal Jacket or Christopher Walken's portrayal in Bluxy Blues, he wasn't an insane or an irrational type of a drill sergeant. He seemed to be a very well-centered man who understood his job and was tra- or training these kids to be the best they could be, and he did it to the best of his ability. And once again was rewarded by having someone like Mayo or Seeger come out of this uh, with the most that they could get out of it. Yeah, I, I agree. Totally. Uh, he's brilliant. I, I couldn't imagine anyone else in the role. He, he, he deserved his Oscar. Powerful performance. He has range. He's He shows a bit of emotion, but he snaps out of it real quickly whenever it's about to show. And uh, the guy made Jaws 3D. So what's wrong with that? And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. an Eagle. <laughs> what, what's wrong with that? Uh, that's a completely separate <laughs> podcast. It would, it would yeah, probably know, go on sorry, for an mate. hour. So. <laughs> Iron Eagle. Now, I, yeah. yeah, Iron Eagle's great, Laurie. <laughs> that was filmed here in Tucson. Really? Iron Eagle 3 was. I don't think the oh, first three. one. Yeah. That's right. You're right. So. Was, yeah, he, I had him. Um, <laughs> he did that, come that, to that Australia was... and he, he filmed a movie called The Pre- um Oh, what was it? He filmed a movie called The Punisher um, with uh, Dolph, Dolph Lundgren. That was filmed in Australia? Yeah, that was filmed in Sydney. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I'll agree with with Chad and Shane um, 100%. And he wasn't just, a, you know, a lot of people play the drill sergeant and just with the, the barking drill sergeant. But there was, as um, I think Chad said, there was so much depth to it and, and so much emotion underneath that you would glimpse and then he would tuck it back in. And that just made the character that much more endearing and and made his performance shine that much more. You know, this was my first experience with Lou Gossett Jr. Seeing him in a film when I saw this, and he he made such an impression on him that he's become. When I see him in roles ever since then, it you know I, I'm more interested in the project, or I'm more interested in seeing the film or the television show, whatever he's on. Some of them are not so good, you know. Translation: Jaws Three, Iron Eagle Three, uh, Firewalker with Chuck Norris. Uh, the, there's a long list of films that are bad, but you know, I, I, he's one of the few actors that I've actually had the opportunity to meet in life. Um, he, oh. I only got to talk to him for a second, but he was very gracious. He was very nice, um, and I got to say I, I loved him. And uh, I, I named some of his better films. I didn't, <laughs> didn't say I loved you, Jaws Three. I would have. I would have shook his hand and said, "Great role in Jaws Three, mate." No, but uh, uh, he, uh, he he seems to be a very uh, a gracious man. I'm glad to see him still. He was still. I saw him on Boardwalk Empire just uh, a couple of years ago, and I'm glad to see him still doing, uh, still out there working and picking up roles. Another reason you need to see Roots. Yeah, so the- I was going to say. 
He's really good. Yeah. Everybody's good in Roots. Yeah, I, you know, and I've never seen Roots mainly because it's. Too. I know it's really long, but it's given a choice of watching a two-hour movie or like eight or nine-hour miniseries. I usually go with the shorter project, but. I believe that um, he was trained by Lee Ermey for this film, who obviously was the drill sergeant in Full Metal Jacket a couple of years later. So he would have got some great tips when he was learning to be in this role from Lee Ermey. Well, and, and there's a lot of similarities to it, but it, there's a coolness to Lou Gossett Jr. where there's almost an insanity to Lee Emery that in yeah. the, the Full Metal Jacket that he that character is scary to me. I and mean what, that, that yeah, and one thing I read was they kept him in separate living quarters while they were filming this, so he would be away from all the rest of the actors. So when he came in to try to intimidate the uh, soldiers or the trainees. He had more of an effect on them uh, through his performance. Yeah, and I and I think it possibly was uh, effective. And he actually literally did get kicked in the balls by uh, Richard yes. Gere. So it looked real. But they are still friends today, as compared to Richard Gere and Deborah Winger, who do not speak. <laughs> well, yeah, for for a couple of headlining actors in a major film like this, they if they didn't like each other, they didn't show it on screen. I believe their chemistry. <laughs> I I will disagree with you on that. I, there seems to be an underlining tension between the two of them the entire time. But that that's also a common problem with Deborah Winger. Is a lot of people don't like have always expressed not enjoying working with her, but. Yeah, I always heard weird stories about them is throughout the 80s and the 90s. If you ever heard of anything about the making of this movie, how he Richard Gere just literally despised her and going as far as to publicly critiquing her personal hygiene and things of that <laughs> nature. I mean, it was just hilarious. Some of the stuff I read, I couldn't find it. For this podcast, but I heard some horrible, horrible things he said about her. Well, and that might go a long way to ex explaining why she's just not fuckable. So, <laughs> <laughs> if she's if she's a smelly, it's just not going to work. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Lori, I had to go were, for the easy jokes. <laughs> and they were definitely naked together for a while in that one scene, so he would know. Yeah, and, and we mentioned this that uh, yeah, I kind of mentioned this that she negotiated her own contract in this particular case. She wasn't represented by an agent, but she forgot to negotiate a no nudity clause. So when it came to filming the scene, she didn't have an option out, and she had to do it. And I think that's one of the reasons why she dislikes this film is that she they 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 didn't like working with her and made her live up to her contract. And she tried to change things at the last minute and didn't work and wouldn't work out because she forgot to do it. Yeah, I don't know. Don Simpson, the producer, yeah, they had enough money. If they really didn't like her that much, why keep her if that was the case? I mean, actresses get replaced all the time, but they must have seen something, you know. I, I disagree. I reckon she's pretty good. And there is a bit of tension there between her and Richard Gere. That's, that is a little obvious at, point, at some point. But I, overall, I think their chemistry was all right. But I'm a bit jaded. I, I think this movie is a good one. And I guess I'm one of those. You've had many, many movies throughout the years um, that you've heard of the leading actress and actor hating each other, but they had great romantic chemistry on screen. I just trying to think like Dirty Dancing. I think they always said Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey despised each other, but that's one of the most beloved. Excuse me for saying the word chick fl or phrase chick flick, but that was one of those that everybody liked their chemistry, but they, they literally hated each other I, as I understood it 
Yeah. I mean, it's not uncommon. I mean, there's, it's actors are people. There's going to be ones that work well together. There's ones that don't. And sometimes if it's, you know, in a romantic, you know, context of a film, it's not surprising that an actress and an actor don't get along. It just, I agree with you. A lot of times it's the chemistry on the screen that, you know, shows you that they're working well together. I, I am of the <laughs> opinion that there is very little chemistry between these two <laughs> actors on the screen. You guys disagree with me. I'm kind of taken back by that and surprised, but oh, oh. well, such as life. <laughs> I like this. Can we have these guys on Moving House? <laughs> I'm always the odd one out. <laughs> well, it's because you always pick musicals and they're horrible. So... <laughs> Like I said to you, Laurie, I've always enjoyed your unique <laughs> viewpoint on movies. <laughs> well, there was one thing I wanted to bring up that I found interesting. Um, I'll try to find my note here real quick. Um, they said in the original screenplay of this that Zach's father, uh, played by the late Robert Loggia, um, who was only really at the beginning of the movie, that that character was supposed to come back in the middle of the movie and see Zach while he was in training and uh, have some kind of uh, altercation with Zach to help either uh, give him some resistance or something along the way, but they decided not to do it. And then this is, I don't know why this is one of the things I like about this movie is then at the end of the movie, well, no, they're supposed to, they talk about in the beginning of the movie, how his dad or, yeah, Zach, when, once he was done, his dad never wanted to salute him. And then at the end of the movie, they were supposed to have his father come back at the ceremony, and um, his father was supposed to salute Zach. But then nobody is there for Zach at the end of the movie when they have the ceremony. And Zach's basically looking around and seeing nobody. And I always thought that was fitting for this movie because – his father really didn't want to have anything to do with him. Paula was the only person who seemed to want to have anything to do with him. So then, like I said earlier, she was sort of rewarded with him going and somewhat saving her because she somewhat saved him um, and gave him a life that he didn't ever expect to have. And it was that moment in time when he looked around at all these people hugging each other, uh, their family members at that ceremony, that he realized, I really do have nobody. And I need to go find her because she's the only one who wants to have anything to do with me. All right, Chad. So basically what you're saying is he was a desperate man and he yes. took whatever he grabbed onto and <laughs> exactly. just, to, to, just to strengthen my argument that there's no real romance between these two characters. It's just he's, gosh, I'm lonely at this moment. Uh, I'll take whatever I can get. Exactly. No, no, no. I will they take had a bond. I will take the smelly girl, please. <laughs> no, that was Richard Gere. You've got to separate Zach from Richard Gere. For some no, reason, I think funny. there's a lot of Richard Gere in Zach, especially in the early 80s. But No, that was just one of those things I read about. It's like, man, they really did a good job of like editing the movie, I guess, in my point, in a way where he really did really have to realize that he had nothing at the end of the movie, even though he'd gone through all that and he had to go find the one person who cared about him. Well, yeah, but he was he was directionless, pretty directionless from the start. True. You know. He had no mother and a father figure that was just disappointing, to say the least. And, uh, yeah, I like it. I like how it ended. It was good. Very uplifting, as the song says. I agree with, with um, Shane and Chad. All right. <laughs> <laughs> <For one. laughs> 
<laughs> for once. <laughs> That's not the only I love this. Well, you know, and I'll agree with that. Is that if bringing the Robert Loja character back, it, it, you've. You spent so much time in this film establishing that the, you know, Mayo character has nowhere left to go. Literally, that's what he says. I've got nowhere left to go. Mm -hmm. If you bring the father back as being almost a supportive uh, parent figure at that point in time, then it kind of destroys everything that he's established throughout the rest of the film as far as what this character perceives what's going on. So I'm really glad that although I like Robert Loja, I'm really glad that they didn't bring him back for that. I didn't I'm glad they didn't bring him back in the middle when he's in training as well. So, you know, I understand why the actor because I had read the same thing where the actor was disappointed that they took that out. But I think it you know, it, it only adds a couple more minutes to the film, but I, I don't think it really, I think it takes away from the character that Zach Mayo is. Exactly. And that's sort of the way I was seeing it as well. I like the, the director, Taylor Hackford. He's done some pretty good work and I think his direction of all his cast, and you look about it, it's a pretty big and ensemble cast he's got here. Uh, does a great job. And he's also married to the queen. He's Taylor Hackford's married to Helen Mirren. Oh, it re- you know, oh. I didn't know that. I didn't realize. Yeah, that. yeah, they've been married for years. You, you ever see the Oscars? It's all they're always sitting together down the front. That's him with her. I didn't know that. <laughs> well, you said the Queen. I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> well, you, you know the Queen. Yeah, I like <laughs> Queen Elizabeth. She's amazing, um, Helen Mirren, and any and in anything she's in. Yeah. But they've been married for years. They're long time, long time partners and husband and wife. Well, this is sort of a funny point that I found as well, and this is the last thing I had on my notes, was the writer, who Douglas Day Stewart, uh, wrote the script based upon his experience with going through naval aviation training. And I found it funny. He also wrote The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. And um, I was wondering what he based his experience off when he wrote that story. Uh, maybe this really was written for John Travolta. <laughs> well, I was just about to say, yeah, there's the John Travolta link. Well, I can't hear that without thinking of Seinfeld now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like to say that there was a failed musical attempt uh, to bring an officer and a gentleman on stage. They they spent heaps of money. And in, um, in May 2012, at the Lyric Theatre in Sydney – just here near me, uh, they brought an officer and a gentleman the musical to the stage, but it flopped. It, it was it was it was playing to really empty houses, and it lasted until July the first, so just over a month. Wow! Uh, yeah, so they, they were they had big plans on touring it around the world and going to Broadway, but that never happened. It oh. must have been the script. <laughs> I never saw it, so I can't comment on it. I, I well, what wow. review it? But I mean it. The songs is what the music a musical is all about. Maybe the songs didn't uh, add up. And it's really, really hard to translate the lack of chemistry that Richard Gere and Deborah Winger had to the stage. <laughs> so. Oh, you're on fire today, Patrick. <laughs> so, so, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I have to defend myself because I'm the only one here that says that. <laughs> 
What but, about the um, chemistry between uh, Deborah Winger and Grace Zabriskie as her mother, Laura Palmer's mum, of course? No, I, th- I thought oh. that I thought that that looked like a true relationship. There t- seems to be a little animosity there. Um, yeah. You know, I, I I personally think that uh, David Keith and Richard Gere had more chemistry than <laughs> Deborah Winger and Richard Gere. Richard Gere and Lou Gossett Jr. Richard Gere and David Caruso. <laughs> Richard Gere. Uh, I almost found that Richard. Gear and oh God, uh, I can't remember the actress's name is blanking right now, but Seeger. Uh, yeah. So had you know in the film, I I was more fam- when I saw this, I was more familiar with that actress than Deborah Winger at the time, and I kept hoping when I saw it the first time that he would end up end up connecting with her. So. Well, you probably think that uh, Richard Gere had more of a relationship with his motorbike than Deborah Winger. Oh, well, that goes. I was with, thinking that that. <laughs> that that goes without saying. <laughs> We all know about Richard Gere and things vibrating in his ass, so it's just I'm sure he would enjoy that. But there it is, <laughs> Patrick. You had to go there. I was waiting for it. I was wonder wonder it took this long. <laughs> Chris isn't here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's wrap it up. Let's go around the horn. Does it stand the test of time? Did you like it then? And do you uh, believe the film stands the test of time now, Lori? You know, I didn't see this um, in the 80s. I didn't see this until I was older. And I think when I saw it, I had just visited my cousin who was living on a military base and had just recently been married. And it just kind of resonated with me with the people I had met and and just talking to their friends and stuff and their friends that were single. And it's a very scary. They're very vulnerable these young men on these bases. And then you think about these, you know, the, the girl in the small town with, with um, big dreams. And, and I, I just think it's a great um, story. And I think it, I, so it's hard for me to say because I, I didn't see it until I was older, but I think it, it um, stands the test of time. And, and I really do enjoy this film and agree that it's one of Richard Gere's best performances. Chad. Yeah, I definitely agree that it stands the test of time. Um, you can definitely tell it's an 80s movie, which that, I guess, has no real bearing on it. But um, it does tell a great story, like I said earlier. I mean, you can get something from it about how to grow up and be a mature human being, even if you've had bad luck in your life or bad cards played in your life. So, yeah, I would recommend it to anybody and say it has stood the test of time. Shane. I totally agree. Definitely stands the test of time. I uh, enjoy watching it more and more, and I do watch it on a regular basis. It gives me chills, and it brings a tear to my eye. Uh, that last scene, I can just watch on loop. The song and everything is just – I enjoy it. David Crusoe, um, I've always liked him. He pops up in it too, which is a bonus, and I, I like Richard Gere. I think he's one of his strongest performances of his entire career. And The Simpsons did a great parody of the final scene too, and I always remember that. So any any movie that The Simpsons does a parody of uh, is good with me, and, yeah, I, I highly recommend An Officer and a Gentleman. All right. Brings a tear to your eye, you Australian pansy. So. <laughs> All right. Patrick has no heart. So. <laughs> okay, you're gonna about to hear my heart. Okay, I saw this on video probably a, maybe a year or two after it came out. 
I, I, I like the film for what it was. I, it's not, I wouldn't say it was like a rip roaring favorite of mine. I thought it was a, a well-made film. Uh, I will say it does stand the test of time. I just don't think, I think the story is really solid. I think it's a, it, the, the, the motivations of the characters and what's going on, I think is, is it still holds water. I don't think it, it, it seems dated. I don't think it seems out of place. And I like a lot of the other actors around it at the heart though. I do think there's a romantic relationship that doesn't seem believable. And I, and I question whether that this is true. Like they're riding off in the sunset happily ever after. I think if you make a sequel to this film, you're going to find out that they separate from each other about three months later. So that's, that's the reality of this film. And, and I, at, because I don't think that there's anything that shows that these two characters you know, stay together. But I do think it stands the test of time. I'm surprised as it was, as it was as successful as it was compared to what the other top five or top six films were that year. There was a lot of, you know, I mean, E.T., Star Trek II, Rocky III, um, Porky's. I mean, there was a lot of films that were not drama related, not hardcore drama. And to see this film make that kind of money just kind of shocks me. I didn't know it was that successful. But does stand the test of time. So there you go, Lori. <laughs> All right. That does it for this week's review of an officer and a gentleman. Thanks again for joining us and listening to our little uh, podcast. If you had a good time, the fun doesn't have to stop here. You can follow us on Facebook at lunchtime movie review or on Twitter at lunchtime movie on either Facebook or Twitter. You can keep up on our written film reviews, news on upcoming films and Blu-ray releases and information on upcoming podcasts on the MHN podcast network, including movie house memories, uh, lunchtime movie review mail bonding and the number two review additionally you can follow us on our side projects uh laurie appears regular regularly on sunday seconds with the duke our john wayne retrospective podcast and and also appears on movie house memories our regular gig together and you can hear both of those on the mhn network you can follow her on twitter at laf335 shane writes regularly for sydneyunleashed.com and is a contributor to cultradiogogo.com and you can follow him on twitter at movie underscore analyst where you can keep up on his film reviews and celebrity interviews and chad can he, chad can be heard uh occasionally here on lunchtime movie review and you can follow him on twitter at this underscore is underscore cmm finally if you've enjoyed yourselves and you download us off either itunes or stitcher make sure to rate our podcast on either one of those two platforms and if you have a chance write a short review of the podcast of course we always like the reviews that are positive but we appreciate any feedback that we can get from any listeners of the show well that does it for this episode of lunchtime movie review until next time i'm patrick i'm chad i'm Lori. and i'm shane and we got to get out of here right now and you guys are invited
This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme music for Lunchtime Movie Review, Fireworks, is provided courtesy of Alexander Nakaranda at SerpentSoundStudios.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the MHN Podcast Network, Lunchtime Movie Review, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.